We who are Christians are waiting for Jesus to return. And as we are waiting, Jesus has told us what to do. And that's what we are learning in Matthew 24 and 25. You can turn there. Of course, the words will be on the screen. And before I do that, I'm going to pray. I do have some great news for you. Jackson Moody is home now. We've been praying for him for weeks. And so, yes, praise the Lord. Applaud that. He came home yesterday. Please continue to pray for him as he recovers from uh, uh, the surgeries he's had. I know he's trying to eat and get strength. And so pray for him as that happens. I'm going to pray uh, as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that you love us. So thankful, Lord, that anything we go through in life, you are always there. Your love always surrounds us and guides us and also disciplines us to make us, Lord, like your son, Jesus Christ. We are thankful, Lord, that you have left this earth, but you have not left us alone. That, Jesus, you have sent the Holy Spirit who is here now in us, and you are coming back for us. Lord Jesus, as we live as you have called us to, I pray that you would help us to live as you have called us to. Lord, may your word teach us now, and may we obey. And I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever observed this card. I don't even call it a holiday. It's a card uh, day. You know, it's where Hallmark wants you to buy cards to honor your boss. Now, why does a boss need another day to, uh, to have his employees uh, give him a gift or thank you for being my boss? Doesn't that just seem kind of silly? So I don't know who's the boss who got it. It must have been a boss at Hallmark who came up with the idea. But... Uh, you know, isn't it true that usually the, the boss is the one who does get all the, gets what he wants or she wants and gets the attention and gets the employees to do all the hard work for them? So you know, why does a boss need a special day? So I don't know if that's how you feel about your boss or not, but it's true that as in Jesus' day and today, there's always been bosses or masters and there's been employees and servants. And today Jesus is going to tell us a parable about two servants. Now, these servants were more like stewards. Let me tell you the difference, because it's important for this parable. A, a servant, we may think of someone who, in Jesus' day, maybe cleaned the house, maybe made the meals, uh, maybe cared for the animals. You know, they just had one job, and that was uh, the task that they had. But the word that Jesus has used in these parables, these servants are stewards. It was their responsibility to take care of other servants. It was their responsibility to make sure the entire household was run well. In fact, sometimes they were even overseeing the personal affairs of the homeowner or the master. So these were very important key people. They were entrusted with everything at times, and so they had to be trusted completely. Can you imagine if you were wealthy enough to have servants in your house and you had one that you gave the responsibility to make sure that the house ran well? I'm sure you're thinking, wow, that'd be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be, except for wouldn't you be trusting them a lot to make sure the kids' homework got done, that the kids got to school, that the bills got paid, that the meals got made, the house got cleaned, that all the things you needed done in your life, you hand it over to a person who would take care of it. 
That'd be great to take a lot off of you, but it places a lot of trust in that person. That's who Jesus talks about. Now, let me think, ask you this question, too. Uh, when you've had a boss that's left, uh, how do you feel or what happens? Okay? Is it like, uh, let's party? Okay? The boss is gone. Uh, let's get the music out. Let's get out the company credit card. Uh, let's go buy some pizza. Uh, let's go on a shopping spree. Hey, let, let's party like Prince said, like it's 1999. Let's just let it all hang out. Let's do whatever we want. The boss is gone. No one's watching us. No one's knowing what we're doing. What we can do when, when the boss, we hear the, him coming back, we'll just look busy and then we won't get in trouble. Or when your boss is gone, are you the, the conscientious employee that continues to work? And you work hard at your job, and maybe you even work harder because you want to impress the boss that you're not like all those other slackers who are partying while he's gone or she's gone, and you are doing your work diligently and faithfully. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand to tell me which kind of employee that you are or would be, but this is really the crux of this whole parable. Because I've told you all about the stewards and their responsibilities. Well, their master has left, and they don't know when he's coming back. And so just as employees are tempted to either party it up or to work faithfully, these two servants in this parable... Do those two things. So let's look at the parable. It's in Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master has put in charge of his household, to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me tell you this about this parable. It's easy to understand. You know, the last few weeks, we've been learning about the future. We've been trying to interpret signs of Jesus' coming. It has been difficult. There's debates about what the verses mean. The future is uncertain, even though Jesus gives us information and gives us clues. This parable is simple to understand. So this morning, your head your brain is not going to be challenged, okay, to understand it, as maybe it has been challenged in the past weeks to try to figure it all out. What's going to be challenged this morning is your heart. You'll understand what Jesus is saying, but is your heart going to be soft enough to respond to it? Or is your heart going to get harder and reject the simple truth that Jesus is teaching this morning? So think about that as we learn really the simple truth of what Jesus is saying here. It's black and white. There's two servants, two different ways to wait for Jesus. The first one is the wise and faithful servant. This servant is wise 
Because he realizes that his master's delay doesn't mean that he's not coming back. What it means is that he could come back at any time. So he doesn't think in his mind, oh, my master's gone. Well, you know, I've got weeks, I've got months, I've got years. No, the fact that his master is gone means that his master could come back right away. That's why he is wise. Also, he's faithful. The master has given him responsibilities, tasks. He obeys his master. He does the responsibilities, the tasks that he's assigned. He makes sure the other servants are fed, cared for. He makes sure those servants do their job. He makes sure that the house is in order. There's no chaos. There's no embezzlement. Every penny's accounted for. So he is doing the work that the master has given him. And he's doing it faithfully. He's doing it well. He's being obedient. And so he is ready for his master to come at any moment. And so he is prepared. When his master does come, he's not taken by surprise. He was expecting this. When his master does come, he is able to show his master. Look, master, you told me to do these things and I've done them. Look at the other servants. They can speak and tell you how they've been well fed, how they've been cared for. All of the house is in order. Here, let me show you the books. Everything has been accounted for and look at the money you've made. Look at what you've told me to do and how it's been done. He can show that to the master. And because of that, the master is going to see what he has done and he's going to reward him. Now you might think he's going to be rewarded with a month's vacation. Or he's going to be rewarded with an extra amount of money. He's going to be rewarded with a raise. Well, he's rewarded with more work. Uh, does that sound like uh, how you want to be rewarded? If you did a great job for your boss and he came and said, oh, you did such a great job. Uh, yeah, no, no vacation, no raise. Here, here's some more work. Why don't you do this? Well, I mean, actually it's a promotion, so to speak. So that is a reward we even get today for good work. Isn't it true that if you work for someone and you do what they ask you to do well, that often you are promoted. And when you are promoted, you're given more responsibility. You're given more work to do, but usually with that more work and responsibility comes more pay and more benefits and more vacation. Okay, So this is what this uh, steward or servant gets. He is rewarded with a promotion, with more responsibility because he has been faithful in doing what the master has told him. Well, there's delay as an opportunity to do whatever he wants. He doesn't focus on the fact that his master's coming back. That's in the back of his mind. He tries to ignore it, forget about it. He's just thinking, the master's not here. No one's watching. No one's making me accountable. No one's checking up on me. So I can do whatever I want. And what I'll do, uh, you know... I, the master's going to make some noise right before he comes. You know, I'm going to hear rumors that he's on his way. I'm going to hear his chariot with his animals coming. And, you know, I'm going to hear it. And then I'll look real busy when he comes. And then I'll be able to fool him and show him, hey, hey, what's up, master? Uh, look how busy I am. 
Now, that's his thinking. You've probably had employees that are like that. <laughs> the boss is gone. They think, if I can just look busy when he comes back, then I'm okay. And so, you know, they have that work on their desk. They kind of push over to the side, but then they bring out real quick to make like they're busy, okay? So that's what he's trying to do. It's foolish. And on top of that, he's wicked. He doesn't take care of the servants he's supposed to. He beats them. He takes that power of responsibility he has been given and he abuses it. And worse than that, then he goes and lives immorally. He doesn't do his responsibility. He hangs out with the drunkards. He is the one who takes that corporate credit card. and He's gone to the bars and he's going to all the places where the immoral people are hanging out. And he's hanging out with them and buying the booze and, and living it up. On his master's dime. He's living a wicked life. And so when the master does come, he's caught off guard. He's not ready. He thought for sure there'd be some time to get ready. But the master comes and finds him. And he has found him and his wickedness and his immorality. He has nothing to show the master of what he's done. Positively. The house is in chaos. The other servants are beaten and abused. The money's been embezzled. This servant is not going to receive a promotion or a salary increase, extra vacation. This servant is punished and punished severely. In the parable, I'm sure Jesus is using exaggeration. He's using hyperbole to make a point. But notice how this wicked servant is punished. He's not punished with uh, uh, you know, a slap on the wrist. He's not punished with losing some time or money. He's not told, well, you have to make it right and pay it all back. No, he is cut to pieces. I mean, you can't get any more severe in punishment than that. He's cut into pieces, he's thrown to the place where hypocrites are, and it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see what Jesus has done? He has said this parable and he's made the contrast as the contrast from dark black and bright white. There is a faithful servant who's obedient in every way and receives a reward of more responsibility, and there is a wicked servant who receives hell. The contrast cannot be any starker and the choice therefore cannot be any easier. That's why I said it's not hard to understand. There's no one here listening that says, hey, wicked servant, that's what I want to be. That, that, that's, that's me. That's who I want to be. Let me sign up for that. None of you are doing that. That's what Jesus' point is. You don't want to be that person. You want to be the faithful and wise servant. So that's what I said. It's not hard to understand the parable. It's not hard to understand the choice that has to be made. Where it becomes hard is being that wise and faithful servant. Because we are tempted to become that wicked servant who takes the delay of Christ as an opportunity to live life the way we want to. We're tempted to think that we have time and we can put off uh, repenting or being right with God until we're older or until it's clearer that Jesus is coming back. We are tempted when we can't see Jesus in, our, in front of us or watching over us to try to do things that we can get away with. So that's what's hard. Not understanding, not choosing, 
but living as a faithful and wise servant. I'll go over this quickly because it's obvious that these stewards represent professing Christians. And I say professing because I don't believe that second wicked servant really is a Christian. He's just a professing one. So the wise and faithful servant obviously is a Christian who's looking for with expectation for the Lord's return, is obedient and what God has called them to do is serving the Lord faithfully and he will be rewarded. Have you ever thought of what we are going to do in heaven? I know you have. We'll be doing there. So the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about what we will be doing there. So we have lots of ideas and lots of pictures drawn for us. You know, we've got the boring playing a harp with wings like an angel. You know, not very biblical and very, very boring. I don't know why anyone would go to heaven like that. And we have that. You know, we have sometimes the, the vision of it, you know, just being a, a pleasure palace. You know, it's going to be all the favorite foods we ever wanted to eat. And we're not going to gain a pound of weight or worry about cholesterol. We can eat everything we want. We're going to be living in a mansion that has everything we've ever wanted. We're going to be dressed in the best clothes and have all the bling like we've ever wanted. You know, sometimes that's how we kind of envision heaven. Uh, sometimes I think we envision it as, a, you know, a worship service for eternity. You know, and, and we're there and we're singing. And for those of us who love to sing, that doesn't sound too bad. We're going to sing for eternity to our Lord. And others are thinking, oh my goodness, I can't even sing four songs on a Sunday. Now I've got to sing forever? Uh, how awful is that? So, you know, we don't really know what heaven is going to be like. But I think we get a clue here that we are going to be serving God in some way. Uh, Jesus is specifically talking about, uh, I believe, Christians who will have responsibility in his kingdom that's on this earth for a thousand years. But that thousand year earthly kingdom turns into an eternal heavenly kingdom. And so although I'm not certain of exactly how we will serve the Lord, I do believe the more faithful we are on this earth in serving him, the more responsibility we will have in serving him in his king, earthly kingdom and his eternal kingdom. And again, I don't understand how that all works out. I mean, heaven's a place where there's no disappointment, there's no sin, there's no jealousy, there's none of that. So I don't know how we're going to have more responsibilities than someone else and not feel jealousy or feel like we got shorted or something like that. I don't know all that. God knows all that stuff. But what I do know is that God is going to reward us, not by giving us a, a nicer mansion or give us an extra verse to sing in front of everybody for eternity. He's going to give us more opportunities to serve him. And it's going to be awesome because here on earth it's always frustrating serving the Lord. Because we serve him with mixed motives and we serve him sometimes with no results. And we're trying, as a sinner, trying to minister to other sinners and sometimes they don't listen. And they do things that are, are ungodly. And so ministering for the Lord on this earth can be, well not can be, it is at times, discouraging, difficult, hard. It won't be in heaven. For those of us who serve the Lord, I know you all do, isn't it going to be awesome to serve him without discouragement, uh, without uh, all the things on this earth that make it difficult. Now, for us preachers, we just imagine heaven being, you know, we preach a sermon, everyone listens and everyone obeys and everyone changes their life, and, including us. And, you know, that, that's kind of like what we could imagine heaven being, where people actually respond to what we're preaching. Now, that'd be awesome. So anyway, that, that's what this servant gets, more reward for his faithfulness. Uh, the wicked professing Christian. As I said, I don't believe this person actually is 
a Christian. They profess to be one. And isn't it true that there are people who profess that they are Christians and they're really not? Now, of course, none of us know anyone's heart. It is impossible for us to know where, where, whether anyone is truly a Christian. It's impossible. But there are people, because the Bible tells us there are people, who say that they are Christians, but they're not. Unfortunately, maybe they think they're a Christian because their parents were. They think they're a Christian because they used to go to church. They think they're a Christian because they live in the United States. That's how it used to be almost. They think they're a Christian because they say, well, I'm not a Muslim and, I, and I'm, not a, uh, I'm not Jewish and I do believe there's a God. So I guess that only leaves Christianity. So I'm a Christian. You know, that's how they look at it. Maybe even unfortunately they, they said a prayer at some time. Or maybe they even were baptized. They did something that's religious. And because of that they thought that they were a Christian. We can't know someone's heart. But we do get a clue to someone's heart. When we see how they live their life. Someone who does have a right relationship with God. Is going to look different than someone who doesn't. Their values will be different. Their words will be different. Their actions will be different. Their purpose in life will be different. Likewise, someone who does not have a relationship with God is going to have values, purpose, actions, words that don't reflect Christ or righteousness. So we can get a clue. But isn't it true that there are people who look like Christians? But they're not. They're hypocrites. Or there are professing Christians who live a life and you say, oh my goodness, how can you say you're a Christian and you live like this and speak like this and live your life like this? So we understand how this wicked servant could be a professing Christian and not a real one. His lifestyle is filled with wickedness. He has no concern for Christ. He has no concern for Christ's return. His punishment, I believe, is being thrown into hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christians don't go to hell. That's why I believe this is a professing, hypocritical, not Christian. So I have two questions for you to help us apply the simple truth and be this faithful and wise servant. Don't take advantage of the delay of Christ's return. You notice I have take advantage in quotes and delayed in quotes. It only seems delayed to us. It's not really delayed. Now, as I've told you, the apostles thought Jesus was coming back that afternoon. And then that week and that month. And so every day that Jesus didn't come back, they felt like it was delayed. Even we, as we have lived our lives, if you are a Christian who's grown up in church, you have heard that Jesus is coming back soon. I've been hearing that for 53 years. So to me, it seems like it's been delayed for 53 years. But it hasn't been delayed. God knows exactly. And he's going to come at the exact right time. So in that sense, there isn't any delay. But to us, it does seem that way. And when I say take advantage, of course, it's, there's no advantage to living our lives as we wish without regard to Christ's return. That's what the wicked servant did. He thought he could take advantage of his master being away. But we do this, and we are tempted to do this. We're tempted to think, well, 
I know I have a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's a relative or a friend that we're estranged, we're not talking. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to make this right. And we think, I've got plenty of time. I can do that next Christmas. When we get together next Christmas, that's when I will do that. Or maybe there is a sin in your life that's a habit or an addiction and it's just got its grip on you and you think, well, I've got time. I'll take care of that tomorrow or next week or when I'm older, I'll take care of that. Or God has called you to something and you say, well, the time's just not right. I've got time. I'll wait till I'm older. I'll wait till something happens. You know, the, the, I'll wait till I'm out of school. I'll wait till the kids are out of school. I'll, I'll wait till I'm retired. You think you have all the time in the world, so you wait. You wait to make relationships right. You wait to repent. You wait to do what God has called you to do. And the truth is, you may not have any time left. Your last breath might be before you leave this building. Jesus may come back before you leave this building. And you have no time left. So if you may have no time left, that means you need to take care of all those things right now. You repent right now. You make your relationships right right now. You start living for Christ right now. You do in obedience what God has called you to do right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not when you're older. Now. You may not have tomorrow, next week, or older. So that's a lesson we learn, and it's very applicable because I know all of us are tempted to do that. We always are. We're tempted to be spiritual procrastinators. We think there's always tomorrow. There's always time. I'll do it later. Don't fall into that trap, that lie, that temptation you may not have later. Here is the other question I want to ask you. And it may be kind of silly, but it also is very revealing. You know, let's say Jesus comes back today. What's he going to catch you doing? I, I know this is kind of silly, but I think maybe Jesus isn't going to come back on a Sunday morning because then all the Christians are going to be at church, and they're going to say, oh, well, look, Jesus, I was here worshiping you when you came back. You know, hey, can it be any better than that? You know, I think maybe he's going to come back on a Saturday night or a Friday night. That's even when Christians are doing things that maybe they don't let other Christians know that they're doing, okay? That's when he's going to come back. Yeah, it'd be too easy to come back Sunday morning to catch us all here at church. So, but think about this seriously, though. I know when you die, it can be instantly, it may be longer, so maybe not think about that so much, but think about this. Jesus certainly could come back today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning. What is he going to catch you doing? We'd all love for him to catch us in church, reading our Bibles, telling someone about our faith, singing a song of praise. That's what we want to be caught doing when Jesus comes, right? We don't want to be caught doing something we're ashamed at. Well, then think about your life. Don't do that. Do the things you want to be caught doing. I love this verse, 1 John 2, 28. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
Do we hear that? It's possible that when Jesus comes, you can stand before him like that wise and faithful servant, and you can say, Jesus, look. It's not bragging, you're just showing. Jesus, you told me to do these things for you, and look, I have done them. I, I have been obedient. I have done them. And look, you even caught me doing them when you came. You can stand in confidence. And you're not ashamed. You have nothing to put your head down about. You have nothing to say I'm sorry for about. But you also could be a Christian who Jesus comes and you're caught. And you do have your head bowed in shame. You do feel like saying, gosh, Lord, I'm sorry. I I never want you to catch me doing this. I thought I had more time. I thought I'd take care of this later. You don't want to be caught lazy. And the Lord says, well, what have you been up to? And you say, well, I've been busy with stuff, Lord. You, know, you, don't, you don't want to be caught that way. So don't be caught that way. Take this verse to heart and be able to stand with confidence and not be ashamed when Christ comes back. It's our turn right now to respond. As I said, it's not hard to understand. Jesus says there's two kinds of servants. A faithful and wise one and a wicked one. Which one do you want to be? I imagine all of you say, hey, the faithful and wise one. Okay, that was easy. Now, what are you going to do now this morning to be that type of servant? That's what we need to do right now. Heavenly Father, we do pray that right now you would show us what you want us to do right now so that we are that wise and faithful servant. I pray, Lord, if we need the courage to repair relationship, we would do so right after we leave here today. I pray, Lord, if there is sin in our life, we would repent of it right now. I pray, Lord, if there is something you have called us to do and you want us to do it, but we've been hesitant, we've been procrastinating, I pray, Lord, we do it right now. Lord, if there's anything in our life that we are doing that we are ashamed of, I pray, Lord, that right now we repent and we're right with you. I pray that we would leave here today knowing that we are true Christians who have put our faith in you, that we can have confidence and be unashamed if you came back in the next minute. Lord, I pray that's who we'll be when we leave here today. May we respond and be so now as we sing to you, Lord Jesus, and pray in your name.